Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. A special thanks to Dave because he held down the fort last night. Um, and I really appreciate that. Annette and I did a wedding out in Silverton, and it was, uh, it was good to know we have good leaders and good people who rightly divide the word. It's wonderful. Well, you all look good. I think you're all doing okay. No fans this week. We made sure that you were okay this weekend, and so we're, we're happy. All of us are happy to see you. And what I'd like you to do right now, we're going to dive right in. We're going to go right into God's Word, James chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, open your Bible to James chapter 1. It's after the book of Hebrews. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles right under the seats, right in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, just period, you take that Bible. We want you to have God's Word. So you can take that blue Bible home with you. We want you to just, we want you to have it. So today we begin our series in the book of James titled Authentic Faith. What I want you to do right now is I want you to think about the one thing that you have to endure. The one thing that you have to persevere. Do you have it? Okay, now tell your neighbor. What is it? Tell him. Go ahead. Tell your neighbor. What's that one thing that you have to endure or per- persevere? Come on, you guys persevere and endure. Look at that. There you go. Okay. Now, did you tell your neighbor it's you? Did you say, you're the one I have to persevere? <laughs> it's you that I have to persevere. And I looked down just briefly and caught Annette's eye, and she was going just like this. It was, a, it was subtle. But she was looking up at me going like this. So I'm the one thing that she has to uh, persevere. You know, when you, um, when you go through times and trials, it's, it's, it's very difficult. The Bible instructs us, and we're going to read about it today, that what we need to do during times of trial is we need to persevere. So here's the point. We all have to endure things. We all have things in life that we endure. I mean, you think about it. Growing up, maybe you had that bad teacher. You know, that teacher that you just couldn't get along with, that there's just no chemistry, no connection. What do you do for that, that year? You endure. Or for me, it was 12 years. I just endured. So you endure things like that. Or the friend that's always trying to set you up on a blind date. You know, the person that's always saying, hey, I've got someone for you to meet. I, I really think they're the perfect one, that they're the match. What do you do? You endure it. You just got to go through it. Or mothers in here, uh, women who own humans, you know, that is, a, that is one that you just oftentimes have to endure, especially when they go through potty training. I mean, they go through this period, and you don't want them to wear a diaper when they're 25, and so you're looking at them, and you're going, man, we just got to get through this. What do you do? You just... What do you do? You just endure it because it's, it's important that you do that. Or teaching your teenager how to drive. That, now, that one is one. Because you don't want to pick them up when they're 50. I mean, you don't, want, you don't want them calling you from work and saying, Hey, Mom, can I have a ride? No. So what do you do? You, you teach them how to drive. And that was just a real trial for Annette and I. I think more Annette than myself. And that's why I was the one always sitting in the passenger seat with one of our kids. And our oldest one thought he knew everything. He thought, Ricky Racer, man. I mean, he knew the throttle, did not know the brake. And I'll tell you, when you go with him for a while, what happens is, have you ever, you use your fake brake? 
Man, I was on that thing. I wore a hole on the passenger side right in the floorboard because I'm always using my fake brake. Now, Annette, the instruction was, and I said, Annette, listen, uh, you got to be quiet when you're sitting back there, and you can't say anything. She didn't say anything. She just made a lot of noises. You know, like, oh, oh, eh, oh, ah, you know, that kind of stuff. And there were times that I just reached to back and I just touched her leg and said, no, okay, let's, let's, let's see what happens. You endure it. You know, when you're teaching a teenager how to drive, you just endure it. You endure it because you don't want to give a kid a ride his whole life. And so you endure it. You see, each and every one of us, in a lot of ways, we learn how to persevere. We learn how to endure And here's what James says in verse 12 of chapter 1, the very beginning. It says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. So how can you be blessed when you're persevering under trial? You know, this is not the American way. It's not the way that we think. Usually this is the way we think. Blessed means to us that you don't get any trials. I mean, you know, that's really what it means. So when you talk to people and they say, oh, I'm just really blessed. Well, why are you so blessed? Because everything's really smooth sailing right now. And I'm really blessed because there are no trials in my life. We're going to find out that that's not what blessed means according to James. James really gives us the definition of what a blessed life looks like. What authentic faith looks like. And that that how we understand the life that we live and and the direction that we're going. How are you blessed under trials? Well, we're going to do this. We're going to find out today in our study. But what I want to do first is I want to first give you the the setting of the scene. You just need to have a little background on James and the book of James. It'll give you a great understanding, a better understanding. First of all, James, though the one that we're going to be reading, is really the half-brother of Jesus. And he didn't come to faith until after the resurrection. And what does he get assigned to do? He gets assigned to be the the leader, the pastor in Jerusalem. This is a big assignment. And so he's coming, now remember this, when we go through James, he's coming from a a Jewish perspective. He's looking at life through, through the Jewish lens. It's the way he grew up. It's what he understood. And so when we read the book of James, we have to have some understanding of what the Jewish culture was all about. If we don't, we really miss some things that are pretty important in the whole book of James. And so James is the brother of Jesus. He, this is the earliest written Christian manuscript that we have. It was written between 45 and 50 AD. And he's writing to comfort Jewish converts undergoing trials. So persecution has hit the church, and it's scattered the church in Jerusalem. There's still some folks there, but it's called dysphoria. It's, it's just they were just scattered. And so he's writing the Jewish converts, and he's saying, wow, you guys, you know, I know. You're really facing a lot of hard times right now. But here's the big idea. James is writing to prepare the church for even bigger trials, for even bigger trials. And boy, was he right. Because for the next 300 years, the church was under severe persecution. James himself was martyred. The apostle Paul was martyred. Peter was martyred. martyred. Our early church fathers, many of them were, were, were martyred. And so for 300 years, there's, there's this ongoing trial in the early Christian church. And yet, and yet... They grew and had a more authentic faith. What's up with that? 
I mean, all the persecution, persecution that really no one on this planet has ever experienced since that time. And they grew. Why? Why was their faith more authentic? Well, one reason may be found in their understanding of faith. And I want you to hear what, what James is saying when he talks about faith. For example, if James or any other early church father or mother came to you and asked you this question, what if they said, what does authentic faith look like to you? What does authentic faith look like to you? And if you're a believer in Christ, you may say something like this. Well, I have faith in Jesus. That sounds good. It sounds right. But the early church fathers would have said, yes, but are you faithful? Are are you faithful? Because in the Jewish language, did you know there is no word for faith? In the manuscript that you're getting, it's substituted with the Greek word pistas, which is, uh, means faith. But in the Jewish manuscript in the Old Testament, you never see faith. You see faithful. And what James is doing, and when he talks about faith, he's talking about being faithful. And why would he say it that way? Because he's saying your life needs to be a reflection of God. It needs to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. So if you're looking at God, your Father, what is the, one of the most endearing qualities in your relationship with God? It is that he is what? Faithful. Now what if God said to you, well, I have faith in you, and that's all. He just left. He was gone. I have faith in you. How would you feel about that? No, God doesn't do that. He says, I love you. I care for you. I am faithful to you. And that's what James means when he talks about faith. Because oftentimes, in our interpretation, it is incomplete. When mentioned in the Hebrews, again, it is the word emon. Emon in Hebrew. Does it sound familiar? We use it. Amen. 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 So be it. Or let it be faithful. Let it, let it be done. Let it be fulfilled. Omun means faithful. It's action. It's an expression of your belief in the only true God. Authentic faith in James is interpreted through his Hebrew understanding of faith. Not a passive thing as we see it today. Because when we talk about faith, it's the theoretical. Yes, let me talk to you about theology. That's not what they're saying here. They are saying, no, this is active. This is you being faithful to what you know about your relationship with Jesus Christ, that he came, he lived, he died, and he rose again. Are you faithful to that? James, by chapter, goes like this, and it's good for you to know this. Chapter 1, the foundation of spiritual growth is wisdom. Now, let me give you just a brief definition of wisdom because that's what we're going to cover here in this first uh, 12 verses. Wisdom is applied truth. It's applied truth, especially under pressure. Especially under pressure. <laughs> now, when you add that, some folks are going, Ugh! you know, I'm okay when the pressure's not on, but that's not what James is talking about here. James is saying true wisdom comes out under pressure. You're applying truth You're thinking on your feet. Why? Because you have Jesus. You've walked with him. You've persevered. You've endured during times of trial. It's truth that takes action in the moment. That's 
what wisdom is. That's what James talks about here. Chapter 2, the substance of your spiritual growth is faith or faithfulness, as we understand now. Chapter 3, the lifestyle of spiritual growth is self-control. Chapter 4, the attitude of spiritual growth is humility. And chapter 5, the evidence of spiritual growth is what? It's prayer. The evidence of spiritual growth is prayer. Now, there are two themes that we find in James chapter 1 in verses 1 through 12, and that's what we're going to deal with today. James deals with trials from the outside. And he says as much in verse 2. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of what? Of many kinds. So he's talking about, he's talking about what you face on the outside, trials from the outside. Next week, what we're going to cover is we're going to go on to verses 13 through 27, and what does he deal with there? He deals with temptation from the inside. Now, I think we all need to hear this because we all deal with temptation. And so he deals with temptation on the inside, and that's what he's saying in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So we see that. Temptation from the inside is what we want to cover next weekend. The bottom line in James chapter 1 is we all must endure whether it's trials or temptation. And for a lot of us, it may be more than a bad teacher. Maybe more than potty training your toddler. It may be more than teaching your teenager how to drive a car. Some of you are facing some pretty stout trials right now. Sat down with a couple last week, just just a few days ago, and, you know, it's her third or fourth bout with cancer, and they've diagnosed her terminal, and what do we do? We pray for healing. We pray for healing. But she came in with this incredible, joy-filled attitude, and she just said, now, if God doesn't heal me, and that's what she said, would you, would you do my memorial service? And here's my response. Under one condition. Now, you usually don't say that to folks that are really struggling in trials. I said, under one condition, you really try to stay as long as you can because that would really help us. Because she's just she's a beautiful woman. And so you, you're dealing, and, and it may be, may be a diagnosis uh, of a child with a learning disability. And, and you know it's going to be a long haul. I mean a long haul. And you're thinking every day, when is this going to be over? And what does James say? James says this is what we need to do. We need to persevere. We need to endure. So what do you do in moments of great trial? You listen to the Bible because it unlocks the wisdom and strength you need. That's what we do. Listen to James chapter 1 as he shows us how to build perseverance. How, How do you build perseverance? Number one is this. James says, choose joy under pressure. Now, we already read verse 2, but let me read it again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I've got to tell you right up front, I wouldn't have written this. I wouldn't have said that. That's not what I would have said. I, I wouldn't have said, man, consider it all. I would have said this. Consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you get to sit on your couch, watch the Dodger game, and eat a box full of Oreos. That's what I would have said. Said it just like that. No bones about it. That's what I would have said. This is what joy is. 
And when, when James talks about joy here, this is a deeper than positive thinking. This is deeper than positive thinking. It's deeper than temporary happiness. This is a joy that taps into the work of God's Holy Spirit in you. This is a joy that is really beyond even yourself. This is a joy that goes deep into your spirit because of the abiding power of God's Holy Spirit. And you can truly say the joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, this, uh, this means so much more. Actually, the word consider. Look at that word for a moment. The word consider in the Greek means to lead or to deem it so. Now, when we think about the word consider, maybe, I don't know, maybe the statue of Rodin, you know, comes and it's the thinker. You know, that's what we do. We, we sit and we consider and we have all these kind of philosophies and we debate. That's not what James is doing here. And that's what I love about James. Have you noticed about what is so cool about James? If you looked at, if you looked at his greeting, it's not the same greeting as the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says, "Oh, my beloved, I love you, and I'm a slave of Jesus Christ, and I follow Jesus, and want all of you to follow Jesus. How are you doing? Is everything fine?" And James goes, "Greetings, greetings," and he dives in. And when he says, "Consider what he's talking about here." is he's saying this is much more than just to think about it. It means to stand up and to lead before the trial arrives. It means that you know they're coming. And there are times that you can see them coming. And what it's saying is, it's saying when you see them coming, stand up. He's saying lead your own attitude and don't let trials dictate the condition of your heart. Now, how many let trials dictate the condition of your heart? Be honest. All right, there, good, got a few more. All right, the rest of you are dead. That's all I got to say, you know. But that's what we do. And what James is saying is he's saying, lead your attitude. He, he says, whenever you face, do you see that? Whenever you face that phrase, that means to double down. It's, it's almost like an athletic term. Whenever you're facing opposition, when you see that trial coming, you don't run the other way. What it tells you to do is it says, when you see that coming, double down. Get more focused. You know what's coming. Double down. Don't. Don't run. Don't, don't run. It means to double down. Don't go back from the trials. That you'll make a decision that you'll stand and not let that trial take your joy away. That I am joyful because of the great God who loves me, who has called me according to his purpose. And it's a firm foundation. And I stand on the promises of God because they're yea and amen. That's what it means. But how many of us get buffeted because we see him coming and we go, like you didn't think that was going to happen? This is life. Trials happen. They come your way. And so he's saying here, listen, brothers and sisters, before they get to you, double down. Make a stand. Make a decision. And know that you're firmly planted on a rock that cannot be moved. This is about my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about the circumstances that surround my life. Listen, you have a choice as to your attitude when trials come. You can can think of one of two ways. When you see a trial coming, you can say, why is this happening to me? 
Or you can say, I consider this pure joy. Pure joy. He has chosen me for such a time as this. Stand up. Don't cower, but stand up. James is not saying consider it pleasure in these trials. He is saying see the opportunity to choose joy before the trial comes. Uh, tell somebody, I choose joy. Just go ahead. I choose joy. I choose joy. I cho-. Start now. If you can't say it now, it's going to be hard for you to say it when that comes. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It is a choice that you and I make. So here's the application question. Where do you need to lead your own attitude? Where is it right now you need to lead your own attitude? Where do you decide to take control of how you feel? I know this isn't easy. Listen, I'm not talking about burying your head in denial. I'm not talking about some fluffy kind of faith. You know, there are people that you go and talk to, they just had their right arm cut off, and they say, oh, praise God, I'm doing just fine and dandy. And you know they're not doing fine and dandy. You know that. This is saying, this is what has happened to me. But I choose joy. I choose the joy of the Lord. Don't just think, but lead. Number two, building perseverance requires another decision. And here it is. Choose to make the pain matter. Did you hear that? Choose, this, is, this is big. This is big. Choose to make the pain matter. Because we're all going to experience pain. The question is, will we choose to make it matter in building godly perseverance? And that's what James says in verses 3 and 4. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I read an article a few years ago about this swimmer that was going, I think he was swimming across like the Gulf of Mexico or something. I mean, something nobody ever did and had done before. And he thought, man, I, I want to be the first to do that. And so what does he do? He jumps in the water and he starts swimming. And about halfway through his journey, he runs into a bunch of jellyfish. And the jellyfish just sting him and sting him and sting him. And there is a lot of pain with that. And he's in the water and he said, man, I got so much pain, I think I'm going to turn around and go back. You guys get that? He was halfway He only has halfway to go. So you either swim backward with pain or you swim forward with pain. You're the one who makes that choice. When you give up halfway, you get all the pain and none of the reward. Perseverance in our scripture here means something. It means anticipation of a joyful outcome. Anticipation of a joyful end. It's choosing to trust God through the pain, knowing he always has my best in mind. No matter what the test is, there is a a positive outcome, and it's choosing to make the pain matter. Friends, we live in a country, and today it's like, okay, I'm going to take a shot at this. I'm going to try. I'm going to tear up. I'm going to try. And the pain comes, we say, okay, I'm done, I quit. It's just almost like opposite of what James is telling us here. 
James is saying, when you feel the pain, don't quit. Make the pain matter. It's not something we talk about in our country, in our culture very much. We're usually going, well, if it's hard, that must not be God. It can't be that hard if God's involved. It's harder than you think when God's involved. It's called uncomfortable grace. That's exactly the point. What is he saying? He's saying, I want you to persevere through this. I want you to anticipate a joyful outcome. Why? Because you trust in me. There will be a joyful outcome. Look at the word mature in verse 4. What does perseverance produce? It produces maturity. And maturity is another way of saying discernment. That's what James is saying. They're, they're almost synonymous words. Discernment. Knowing what to do and when to do it. Isn't that the sign of maturity today? I mean, you can boil things down. You could say, what's the sign of maturity? It's knowing what to do and when to do it. I mean, that's what maturity is. I see a lot of people who have a lot of faith, and, and excuse me, but they're as dumb as a post because they have no, no, there's no maturity. There's no discernment. And what, what he's saying here is, listen, you, you can have maturity here. You know, many Christians have faith, but no discernment. Perseverance gives you the experience of what to do and when to do it. I mean, you're so racking up some serious, some serious experience. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If I'm at war and I jump into a, a foxhole and I'm just getting beat down, I mean, I'm the bullets are flying over the top of my head, who do you think I'm going to feel more comforted with jumping into that hole with me? Pee Wee Herman or Sylvester Stallone? I I think I'm going to choose Rambo. In this case, I'm going with Rambo. Why? Why? Because of experience. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, when you persevere and you go through this, you just learn by experience what to do and when to do it. And what you do for others in relationship is they know you're in their foxhole and everything calms down. There's a peace about it. Do you offer that to your friends? Do you offer that to your family? Do you give that maturity to those people in relationship around you? Perseverance gives you that experience. So choose to make the pain matter. Don't give up. Application is what difficult situation is God asking you to finish? What are you in right now that's just difficult and you're saying, eh, i got the white flag. It's half-mast right now. It's almost all the way to the top. What is it? Number three, look at verses five through eight. Listen to what it says. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So here it is. To build perseverance, you must choose to ask God. Now, everyone says, well, that's simple. I, yeah, I choose. You know what? It's simple, but how many times do you really choose to ask God first? Or do you pick up a, your electronic device? Do you go to GQ? Do you go to Cosmo? Do you go to other places? Man, I'm having this problem, and I'm going to go to a business magazine to find out how to solve it. God's saying here, don't do that. Why do you do that? What are you doing? He says, I'm the creator. I'm the author and finisher of your faith. I'm the one who put you together. I know how you are wired. Ask me first. 
Come to me first. That's what James is telling us to do. James confronts us with the true source of wisdom, and it's God. Did you know right now in our country that the self-help industry racks in $9.6 billion a year? So that means some of us are doing it. I mean, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of cash. So, oh, that's the world. I don't know about that. Where do you go? Where do you go when trials come your way? Who do you ask wisdom from? What James is telling us is to ask God before we seek any other source of wisdom. Ask God who does what? I love this next word. Hope you all get it. Ask God and he will give it to you generously, abundantly, sincerely, liberally, bountifully. Why? Because God wants you to succeed. He wants you to make it. He has your best interest in mind. And he gives wisdom to all. And I love this. Without finding fault. Have some of you read that and thought, what does he mean there? Without finding fault. I'll tell you what he means. He knows the way you think. And, and you know, yesterday you had a big mess up. I mean, you just, you just send for 24 hours. I mean, just... And this day comes and you have to ask for wisdom. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't think I can do that. I don't think the door's open for me right now because I really, really screwed up yesterday. He's talking to you. What he's saying is when you ask for wisdom, he's not looking for your faults. He's, he doesn't have a checklist. I don't know. You know, two or three years ago, whoo. I don't know if I'm going to give you. He's not doing that. He's saying he's not finding fault, that God is not looking at your past record and deciding to give you wisdom based on that. Now, now here's where James comes in and he speaks as a father. I love this. He starts to talk to us as a father in verse 6. He says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave Of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double minded and unstable in all the things that they do. What's he saying here? Well, the word doubt means to make a distinction. What God is saying is when you ask, are you distinguishing God's wisdom from the wisdom of the world? That's what he's saying. Is God's wisdom superior? Does God's wisdom have authority in your life? Or does it just blend in with all the other things in the world? It's just one of the choices we make. Well, let me think. I'm gonna turn, maybe I'll go to God's word. But, you know, I read this article in this other magazine that I thought just hit it out of the park. So I think I'm going there first. God's saying he will not have it. He says he will not have it with his people. He says, where you go is you go to him first. If you go anywhere else, he's saying you are doubting him. You're not making a distinction between God's wisdom and word to the wisdom and the words of the world. We don't make a distinction between God's wisdom and others. That's what he's talking to us about. God refuses to be a rival among many sources. His word is ultimate. His word is superior. And if you put God's word equal to other sources, this is what you will be. It says that you will be someone who doubts, who's tossed, 
like the wave in the sea, blown and tossed in the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. He's saying that is the result. Double-minded means unable to move straight. In this scripture, it just means unable to move straight. Just not able to move ahead. You're not able to make any traction. Remember when I was a kid, I was riding my bike, you know, pedaling it down the road, and I was thinking, where? I'm going to my buddy's house, and, and I'm not quite sure which is the quickest way to go. There's kind of two ways to get there, but I knew that in a few minutes I needed to make up my mind which path I was going to take. And I was riding my bike, and I'm thinking, which path do I want to take today? Which path do I? And I couldn't make up my mind. I couldn't decide, and so what I do is I slam right into a rock, right in the middle. It was right in the middle, but I didn't go either one. I, I was just undecided. I was, I, and what happened is I didn't move straight ahead. God is saying, listen, when you are double-minded, you're not making any traction. You're not moving ahead in life. I played football with a guy one time, and he, man, he was like, he was into himself pretty much. And he came to the sidelines, and he said, hey, did you see me run that ball? I said, yeah, I did. He goes, yeah, man, I ran about 20 yards. I said, yeah, but the problem was you only made three. You ran 20 yards, but it was all around the, behind the line of scrimmage. You did not run straight. You did not make any yardage. You did not get a gain because you didn't run straight. Double-minded means unable to move forward. Listen, set God's word as a singular authority of your wisdom. That's what Proverbs, a whole book is dedicated to that. Proverbs is dedicated to you finding wisdom because that is a great, great treasure. Application question, what source are you drawing from first? Ask yourself that. What source are you drawing from first? Here's the fourth thing. Choose significance in relationship with God, not earthly position or status. And verses 9 through 11 says, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. What, what's he saying here? There's something here that he's getting, getting across. You know, over the years, and I've said this to you, and I, I think probably the reason I talk to you about this is, <laughs> number one, don't have very many places to talk about it. Um, but, but I think one of the reasons I talk about it is because during these kind of moments is when I reflect on my own life, when I have to take account of my own life. And, and there's no moment that makes you do that more than when you're preparing for a funeral. And... Um, and so I have I literally have a stack, a file about that tall. And typically what I'll do is I'll take time and I'm, I'm asking myself the question, what, what, is, what is my legacy? What is our heritage? What is, what is that? What does that look like? I'll never forget one time I, I was sitting down with someone before they passed away, a very successful businessman who was in this church. I mean, I mean, he, you would, he just knocked it out of the park. I mean, he did. And I asked him questions about his business and why he was so successful and all those kinds of things. And, and he told me, man, he just kind of, wow. And I'm thinking, this guy is like a killer in business. He knows what he's doing. He's, he, he's, I mean, he has really accomplished a whole lot. And then what he, he passes away, and we have the memorial service, and we have a time in our memorial service where you know, people talk. They eulogize the person who has passed. And I'm going to tell you something. Not one person stood up and said, wow, he was really a good businessman. Not one person. 
You know what they talked about? How much he loved God and how much he loved people. What are they going to say about us? It was really how much this guy loved God, how much he just cared for people. His significance wasn't about what a good businessman he was. It was about how he treated others and loved God. In verse 9, where it says, believers in humble circumstances. In the Greek, it means you are of a humble status. What he's talking about there is something that you need to know as a believer. He's talking to believers. And what is he referring you to? He's talking about the same humility as Christ. That you would have the same humility as Jesus Christ. Described by the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2. He says, and have this mind. Remember, we're talking about attitude. Have this attitude. Be humble. That's what he's saying. He's saying as a believer, you, you, that's, this is who you are. That you walk humbly before the Lord. That's what he's saying. A- a- the same status as Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying. And then James goes on to the other side and he says, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. What he's saying here is he's saying that if you are rich and you've realized that it's not about your status... It's not about your resume. It's not about your portfolio. It's not about the trophies that you've won in life. Good for you for not trusting in status because it is one of the most difficult things to avoid on this planet. Good for you. Then he says, well, here's what happens. Here's why you can't trust status. And James goes on, you can't trust status because it'll pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go uh, about their business. It's fleeting. Status and position is fleeting and you're putting your investment there. And James says, what in the world are you doing? Take on the attitude and have the mind of Christ. Walk in humility. So what is our application question? What are you investing in that will last? I mean, make a list. I'm serious about this. I mean, sit down with your Bible. Sit down with an empty notepad. Read James and say, what is it, what is it that I'm investing in that will last? Write a few things down. What is it you invest in that will last? I, 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 you might be encouraged. You, may, you might not, but you might be encouraged. When you look at that, this is what I do. It's, it's um, something like at your funeral, will they mention your title or how much money you made? Or will they talk about how much you loved others and how much you loved God? Here's our final thought. In the end, James wants us to build perseverance and he, and he gives us this thought about how to be blessed and how we can persevere. And here it is. I want you to fill this in. Stand the test until the end. Stay in the game until the end. Verse 12. Let me read the whole thing to you. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That is beautiful. Again, remember the Jewish framework here. 
That blessed means someone who receives divine favor. And James is probably thinking back to Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, because it's something that was recited all the time and even went on into Jewish believers' lives, that the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. Let his face shine upon you. And what he's saying here is let the Lord live a life, persevere, so that you are in favor. Live your life that way. The word keep simply means protect. Protect. And the imagery there... is of a shepherd out in the wilderness. And what the shepherds would do oftentimes, if there were no rocks to build a pen, or if they would get these thorny bushes and they would build a hedge of protection around their sheep. And so the predators couldn't get in. They couldn't get in because it was, it was too perilous for them to get in. And what it's saying here is the Lord builds this, and this is the imagery, the Lord builds this hedge of protection around you when you persevere. That when you persevere, when you endure, what he's saying is I'm building this hedge of protection around you. God's favor is on you and may you be blessed. May you be protected and kept. And I love that imagery because it wasn't it the thorns that protected us on the cross. He endured. And oh, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Who is that joy? What is that? That's you. He's talking about you. You are his joy. And for that reason, the Bible says he has endured. The word examination, or the word, uh, yeah, the word examination just means approved after examination. James is saying that when you stand the test, Uh, You can be approved after examination and you will be given a gift. What is that gift? It's the blessing of the Lord. You receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Would you close your eyes for a moment? With your eyes closed, I'm going to ask this application question. And the question is real simple. Where do you stand? Because really that's what James is, is, is asking. He's just being pretty straight up. He's just saying, where do you stand? Where do you stand? Jesus wants to give you the gift of his life. He died for you. He persevered for you. He stood until the end for you. And now he's saying, would you be faithful? Would you do that? And and the way that happens is, is accepting, receiving his gift to you. It's, it's just taking the gift that he's given you. The gift of eternal life. The gift of, of forgiveness of sin. That's what he's telling you. Saying, here's the gift. I promise this to you. I promise this to those who believe. And when you believe, there's a blessing, a favor. And there's this protection around you. And that's the thing that we trust in. We believe in. We believe in his life. So I'm going to pray this prayer. And I'm just going to ask those who, who need, maybe you need to take that step. You need to experience eternal life. That you would receive the gift that he's giving to you freely today. The gift of eternal life. The gift of forgiveness of sin. You need that. Because I know I need that. He says, anyone who lacks wisdom, you know where he says that? that that's all of us in the room. Can I just say that? It's every one of us. 
And where our foolishness shows is when we think we're in charge or in control of our life or we think we can do it better than God. That's foolishness. Wisdom says, man, let me ask God about that one because I really lack wisdom here. And maybe you're asking right now and you're getting an answer right now. God is saying, ask me. And he will point you to his son, Jesus Christ. Prayer goes like this. Dear Jesus, pray with me. Go ahead, everybody. Dear Jesus, I lack wisdom. And I'm asking you for wisdom. And you don't hold anything back from me. You don't find fault in me. But you give wisdom abundantly and generously. So your wisdom today tells me (laughs) that I would be a fool (laughs) if I didn't accept this gift. This gift of eternal life. This gift of the forgiveness of sins in my life. And so I do that in Jesus' name. I receive the gift. Thank you for the gift that you've given me today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.